Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is unfortunately not here. He's a, he's a busy guy. Uh, but Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something a little bit different. And this is our commentary track for December 2023, the final commentary track of the year. We've had a lot of fun this year. We had, we, what are we talking about? We had superheroes. We had ILA. We had... Uh, all the horror stuff that we do, we had, we had all these all these different things going on, and now, what better way to conclude a, a, a terrific year for cinema than by talking about that's right, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> in honor of the upcoming release of Wonka, but also, and it's not even an anniversary. <laughs> that's a seventy-one film. It's twenty twenty-three. What? Whatever. We're talking Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Why not? It's a classic. Some say. Um, so, <laughs> Really added that in quickly there, didn't I? I I'm, I'm curious to hear all your guys' thoughts on uh, on uh, Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory. But joining me to discuss said film, we have host of the Brandon Peters Show. And from Why So Blue, wait a minute, strike that. It's no longer true. Reverse it. It's Brandon Peters. Oompa Loompa Doopity Doo. I used to write for Why So Blue. <laughs> Why did oh. you leave the site? No, I'm kidding. That's a matter for a different <laughs> there's nothing bad here for those listening there's nothing bad here he claims there. that there is no bad blood <laughs> also joining us from the milky way blues his snozberries taste like prunes at cnc burns oh, in the wise words of grandpa joe i just want to warn you that we'll all be cut to ribbons <laughs> and joining us from the outside scoop he may be a bad egg it's scott the ice cream man mendelson they all deserve to die. Tell you why, Oompa Loompa, tell you why. This week's scoop is The Tonight Doe from Ben and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I like the late night Ben and Jerry's one. I don't like The Tonight Doe very as much. <laughs> I don't go to, I don't shop for Ben and Jerry's too often, but when I do, that's it's a different Jimmy Fallon I look for, which I don't have anymore. Anyway, how are all of you guys doing this evening? Well... I got my sweet tooth ready. Let's dive into some Wonker. I literally am shocked at how good I look on this. I'm going to take a pen and like draw on my desk to make sure my computer is right in this spot every time. Yeah, you Ooh, should get, have marks. Getting those that, Spotify that listeners idea. all hot. Yeah. I look good on this. No, you wish. Imagine. For, for out now, a very strictly audio podcast. You're right. You got that down. Um, all right. Well, as I explained, we're going to do a commentary for Willy Wonka, the Chocolate Factory. Basically, Scott, Brandon, Yancey, and myself all have the film currently paused five seconds in. On my version, it's the Paramount logo that is on screen. I'm aware that there might be some changes here or there. But regardless, if you plan to watch along with us, uh, just pause the movie five seconds in. On the sound of go, we're all going to press play. And you press play as well. And then you go from there, you're good to go. Uh, if you're just listening to listen, uh, grab yourself a wonky bar, sit back, enjoy. Or if you're at the gym, then don't get a wonky bar. You're at a gym, damn it. You got to work out. Regardless, whatever you're doing while listening a to this podcast. A wonka protein bar. Oh, God. That's made from dead Oompa Loompas. Um, <laughs> because of all the protein. That's why. Uh, regardless, if you're listening to this listen, you're good to go. You just keep listening and you'll uh, enjoy all the musings we're no, about we're, to share. We're all watching the unrated cut, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're not? <laughs> it's it's 107 minutes 
for all the extra deaths that you see recapped on a giant screen. Uh, anyway, we really wanted to talk about it. That's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to count down from three. You guys ready? And like the 2001 Aerosmith album, just push play. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Three, two, one, go. Candyman. Okay. So we're starting this. As we're starting this, I honestly don't know your guys. Is it like we're talking? We agreed to talk about Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory, but I don't know like what the regard is that you guys have for it. Before we get to that question that I'm going to ask you guys, I'll just note this is a, a Toblerone factory that they filmed this opening credit sequence at. Oh, uh, Switzerland, I believe. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. See, I want to start with you. What? What? What are your? Are where? Are you, when did you first see this? Like, what are your like overall thoughts on Willy Wonka? Oh, you know, it's terrific. I saw it when it, they first started showing it a lot on cable my wife would call a cable staple uh hbo i think it is interesting today i was reading about this movie and there's a complicated history of who owned it and where it came from and but i must have they must have when the rights changed they must have sold it to cable because i must have seen it 15 times on hbo when i was a kid i've always thought it was terrific i think the only debit you can really say is that the uh i think the film stock is not great it's, it was an independent production so i think it doesn't look as good as it could you know when they go into the chocolate room i think some of those colors are not what you would have gotten if this was made by mgm in the 50s or but that's a dream um, otherwise i think it's terrific and i think uh, i was probably drawn to it by the sort of wickedness to it of it as a kid even but uh, yeah I, I love it i think it's right up there in terms of live action with uh, mary poppins and um the wizard of oz all right Scott, how about you? Are you a big Willy Wonka fan? I am. Uh, I read the book, I mean, like kindergarten or first grade or what have you. And I was always aware of the movie. I didn't really sit down and watch it until I stumbled upon it. It must have been like Thanksgiving Day or the Friday after where every cable station has movies all day long. And I, I can see why people like this. This is really good. The songs are very compelling obviously gene wilder's a lot of fun i mean i i had seen plenty of gene wilder films before this so i I knew of him and knew who he was but yeah like oh okay this one kind of lived up to the hype this is a solid solid picture friend how about you yeah i like i I like the film uh as a as a kid it you know when you first see it like i wanted to like experience or go to that chocolate factory it kind of gave me the feeling of it but made me also want to go there too which is the you know the ultimate goal with this um i oddly specifically remember exactly when i saw it uh for the first time um i was at a friend's house when i was in like elementary school maybe first or second grade and um it was at the same time i discovered uh the 1960s um itv uh british show uh the avengers wow uh, diane rigg and uh uh patrick mcnee and we were watching it was on like a and e i believe was the channel and they would show reruns and we were watching that and um some said some there was something referenced about willy wonka while we were watching that and like i was like what's that and they're like and my friend was like you never seen willy wonka his sister's like you never seen willy wonka his mom's like you never seen so like the next day we they had a tape of it we watched willy wonka the next day and that's i and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And, you know, the the musical aspect of it attracted me. Like, I've, I've never been, like, too cool for musicals. I've always liked them. Good so um, I just kind of – it helped sell the fantasy. And uh, it's just a nice, 
you know, clean looking production with, you know, good visuals. The the candy's fun. The songs are fun. The the Oompa Loompas are weird. There's there's enough uh there's there's parts and stuff that feel scary for kids. That's cool. That uh, you know appeals to you as an adult being like, "Whoa, we they showed us this." Or like, you know, this got put in there uh where there wasn't a fear of of that uh so much with the filmmaking, but yeah, it's I just uh, have to note that this candy man seems wildly irresponsible. He's like chucking candy around yes. for free, just throwing it at kids. Oh, this is all for uh, the sake of a song. I, this, and I love that he stops doing it right in time for Charlie to show up. Well, like, because, sorry, loser. Because they all know he's from the wrong side of the tracks. Yes, like, exactly. Because Charlie sucks. That's the whole yes. life that he gives off. I will well, say you, you know, if this movie didn't even exist because once it was gone, it was gone. But this, this song performed by Sammy Davis Jr. was an enormous hit. It's the only number one you ever had, the Candyman. And so for the longest time, the only remnant of this movie existing was that that was a huge, huge hit. And that's well into the Rocky era. But yeah, it's pretty cheeseball Sammy Davis recording with the Candyman. He Man. wanted to play the candy owner, too, but they denied him because he was just be too big of a star. And right. You know, racism. <laughs> yes, that was totally wrong. What do you mean? There's all different types of white people in this movie. My my take on 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 this because it's supposed to be like timeless, right? That's why we don't see a lot of like other things. Like we, we like it's very focused on like the people and whatnot. Not really much, so much on like the. It's a 1971 time timeless. timeless, yeah. Exactly, it's that kind of timeless. But my 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 thought on that is it's an alternate version where like the, the Nazis won, and this is what Germany would look like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh God! It's, the, it's point, the man in the high tower. When but Sammy like Davis Jr. Oh, came on the screen, Jesus. it was just Sammy Davis Jr. Like in the Sinatra movies, it would have been very distracting if all of a sudden Sammy Davis Jr. was there because he wasn't. He was an actor, but he was m- much more famous as a celebrity and a singer. I mean, he get it out of the way early, fun. though, because he'd be like, okay, here's like an early cameo of Sammy Davis singing. The biggest I'm not saying what they should have done. I'm not saying they should have done that. I, I agree that it's like, yeah, it'd be weird if like Sammy Davis shows up because like, what kind of movie I are we watching? it was racism. I think it was. The, I think Mel Stewart, I give him, I've given him less credit than he deserves because I don't know of him much beyond his other terrific movie, Watt Stacks, which is a documentary about a concert put on by Stax in, in, in Watts, which was made in 73, which is also credited to Mel Stewart, the director here. He did a lot of TV, but I think a, a lot of this stuff is is intentional. And, he, and the reason he didn't want Sammy Davis, I think he was right, was that it would have been distracting. And I, there really aren't any big stars here. I don't even think Gene Wilder was much of a name yet. To, to, to be clear, I've been, I'm entirely, I'm entirely kidding about Mel Stewart's involvement in Jesse Sammy Davis like parts of this movie. <laughs> but oh no there is a yeah it's it's distinct it has a very distinct like <laughs> choice that it's making as far as like that you know the kind i of prefer that. aaron's philip roth theory yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, <laughs> we belong before we get to the chocolate factory so we can certainly vamp a bit on all the stuff yeah. that's taking place like here we um, go of all the grandparents that like yeah a, this is weird a situation so old that snl is like every 10 years we can make a joke about this in a sketch like that's that's, yeah. how, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they seem to like to do um i that so yeah so you talked about like the i'll get to my thoughts on wonk in a bit but like you, you talk about like the film stock or like just like the presentation of the film. i can agree with you because i feel like that's what holds it back from being this kind of like in the same realm to me is something like wizard of oz or something it's just like i get that it's going for like a timeless quality but at the same time it's like you can see that it's kind of a rough around the edges kind of version of a fantasy movie yeah, yeah. And I think it's stuff like this where i think in a which is weird because like it's not like 
uh, Burton had like less money to work with. He made the ultimate version of like what what a it's made by Quaker Oats. Chocolate. They had no money. They made but, this independently. So like, but like looking at a scene like this, I can I can feel like there's a version that like if it had a bit more to work with, they could feel more whimsical than it seems here watching four old people in a bed together. Like right, that, this was made in the '60s when musicals were still in. It would be shot in two, three, five, and made by MGM, and it would have had a would have looked more like it maybe ought to. But there is something to be said for the fact that this part of this movie's appeal is that it's a real fantasy for poor kids. That this it's such a comical version of being poor, but the fact that this kid eventually gets one of the golden tickets. So the drabness sort of works if you have to argue it away. But in fact, it's just a relatively cheap movie. So they had to it, get the film stock, you know. For sure. But I, I would imagine, like, I think the kids that grow up on this, which obviously was a lot because it's such a huge home video hit because the movie wasn't a huge hit in theaters. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the memories of nostalgia wrapped around this movie, no pun, um, are rooted in the chocolate factory, obviously, and Gene Wilder and, like, all the stuff that eventually happens, which is, like, 40 minutes away from now, where this stuff no matter how many like sad Charlie songs we get, I feel like that's something at least kids are probably less enamored with. If you tell them, I don't know. I feel like the movie goes downhill once they hand her the chocolate shop. This, uh, <laughs> like once really like, when the, when the, like when the, when the ticket stuff starts going in, like, you know, like 10 minutes from now, I think that's when the momentum really kicks in. For this right. Movie. But I mean, the sad know, Charlie song is, is yeah, definitely just, just state the obvious. You need to do the work. In terms of establishing, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying oh, like yeah. kids are. Yeah, right I'm not saying to, you. I'm, I'm not saying, saying kids you. are right to dislike some things yeah. like this or whatnot. Look, but I didn't I dislike um, I, when I was a kid. I'm not I saying you did either. I just, I do think good. like the people that like the '90s kids like me that certainly grasp on to movies like this, as far as like you know, an older film, but they all like, like agree that it's like a generational classic. I do think the sense of pacing for a movie like this of this time that gets to them more and that's why you're not you're, you're spoiled I, this is that peter austin is very good in this part and you really of course i i care agree. about him by the time he wins that ticket you know him he and jack albertson here i think, I think if you sit down and watch this movie yes you appreciate those things i think if you're trying to recall charlie the chocolate factory i think like the some of the general thought is like yeah we got the, like that stuff at this bit at the beginning that's like whatever but once the chocolate man it's Gene Wilder have gotten them. worse man They're, yeah i know i get it i agree with you people suck the wizard of oz sucks until they get to oz just start at the point where they get to oz don't even watch the first 25 minutes yeah. air, air, a little air newer arms stuff. crossed better that chocolate factory bear fucking be worth it it's so worth better it be worth it right better pay off that chocolate factory better pay Finally, we got a also, movie. A movie we got a movie called Wonka that just gets right to the point. <laughs> this and this is interesting too. There's a lot of this stuff. This this first act is in living by the work of this David Seltzer guy, which I didn't realize. The the script is still credited to Roald Dahl, the writer of the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory novel. You only I live think. twice as uh, the film <laughs> versions. Roald Dahl. Yeah. Roald Dahl, right? Um, they brought in this guy David Seltzer who wrote The Omen and he wrote Punchline in the '80s, and he's the one who Those brought in all this little. <laughs> He's a, and the Omen was a big hit. I know, the Omen's right. The, the Omen is like no, it's just the, the this, so it's but, you know, you know, the Omen and Punchline, those two. But he the Omen, the, Devil Kid, Good Kid. Look, look, he can he added a lot of the funny stuff with the tickets, the various scenes that are, you know, the psychiatrist saying, "Tell me where the tickets are." You know, the every the, the sort of satire of even adults wanting it. That was all stuff that Seltzer added that caused Roald Dahl to uh, try the to movie. name off the movie. Well, they uh, added the spy plant yeah an actual rival and now he's like a spy and so it's yeah. just like a villain in the movie when i was a yeah. kid the slugworth subplot and the way that it's you know obviously changed here was for me a definitive lesson in 
you know, our screenwriting improves upon a source material by adding a conflict, which make gives the protagonist a climactic choice in a yeah. way that obviously was not the case in the the original source. And you know, even as a kid, it's like, oh, that makes total sense. Why they'd have to add that in there? Because then Charlie has to make a proactive choice to win the day and end the movie. And I wonder to the book where it's like, oh, we're over. I guess it's your factory. Because by Marcus trying to entrap them, yeah, the children into doing something wrong to prove that he doesn't, they don't deserve the, the factory. Which and is I all wonder I, because, the because by all accounts, Dahl like never watched this movie in full. And I do wonder if he actually sat, if he ever actually like watched this whole thing. I wonder if that would have resonated more with him, you know, seeing what the changes actually amounted to. Because it's like I like one of his things. It's like you know they gave Wonka's bigger here, and even now he's still a supporting character, but he like he has a more of a role than he does in the book, and he thought it was less focused on Charlie. And it's like well, if you watch right, this, the Loompas are black pygmies in the in the book, which is yeah they obviously. made they made better changes with some of the things going over here. But uh, every change I read about sounded like it made sense, but Roald Dahl was a difficult guy, you know. So yeah, that's the other thing. Roald like as much as we could praise Roald Dahl, and I'm happy to praise the work of Roald Dahl. By all accounts, <laughs> wasn't the greatest guy to like be around. <laughs> he seemed like he's like the guy in the party that's like crossing his arms and miserable the whole time. Anti Semite, I think. Sure, whatever. Brilliant guy though, but you know. I imagine his, I've never read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but I imagine it's even much more strident than this film version is. So that'll bring me to where I am with this movie. I like the movie quite a bit. I think it's, you know, a solid, like, you know, strong B plus movie. I like it. The fantasy movie I grew up with. Um, I I do think Wilder, I I don't know when I first, I can't like picture the time when I first really watched it, but I'm, I'm very sure it was like on TV, probably at home. And I've just seen it over the years, like ever since then. Um, but like Wilder is a guy that I grew up with because I grew up with Mel Brooks. And so like seeing him in like a role like this around the same time I saw him in Young Frankenstein, where it's like there's more to it than just shtick. Um, and that's to say Gene Wilder stuff is only shtick. But you know what I mean? Like there's there's a certain kind of humanity in the roles like that that feel more apparent to me than like. Blazing Saddles, which is the same year as Young Frankenstein, but when I saw them, is different. But like, that's a role where it's like purely like a thing he's doing. Where these movies, like something like this, frankly, there's like there's arcs to the character to a point. There's just something there. It stuck out to me. That's why I always really like Gene Wilder, just because like these kinds of things, and that's why I really like I find uh, comedic actors pretty fascinating when you like look at the trajectories of their careers and like what they do. Well, he came in to help. He wasn't even, it was supposed to be Gig Young in Blazing Saddles. So he came in to replace like a 70 year old yeah. actor. So it really wasn't written for him. Yeah. Gene which I'd say, yeah, like it shows because he's amazing in that movie. But like, you know, there, I, you can, you, know, you, can, you can tell Young Frankenstein is like, a, this is a passion project for him. Like, and, but regardless, yeah. No, I like this movie quite a bit. I, 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 um, seen it many many times over i have read the book it's one of the last dolls that i read because i had seen the movie um where it just didn't it it's it, it hit it was you know because you read these when you're young so watching reading reading charlie and the chocolate factory is like well i've seen the movie like what do i need to read the book for so i eventually got to like i read all the other doll like all the other ones you know the twits and james and the giant peach and <laughs> matilda and whatnot and then eventually seeing some of these movies I can, and we can talk about this more later, but like I've all, I've held on to the idea that Dolls adapted work is very strong in general. <laughs> like it's a big, stronger batting average than most. Like look at these 
Dr. Seuss movies we've gotten and then compare them to the doll stuff, it's like this is no light and day mm. as far as like how good Especially these are. Wes Anderson stuff this year. Yeah, right? was that like Wes Anderson alone? Right. So he's made more good uh, doll adaptations than we have with Dr. Seuss. Five but, for five. But I have a, I have eventually I did eventually reach out on the Chaga Factory and, and it, it was def it was definitely the origins of the Oompa Loompa stuff even beyond beyond, beyond like the racial component it's just more like. This just seems wrong for some reason. Like, there's something here that doesn't like click. And I'm very like, it's neat to see the cinematic changes that they made. Is that Kinnear? Um, was Beauregard right? Mm-hmm. Uh, R- Rory Kinnear's dad. Mm. Mm-hmm. Rory Kinnear of uh, like the recent Bond films and that yeah, very lovely dad. episode of Black Mirror. Pig lover. He's not <laughs> help, or at least help. He looks like he looks like his uh, his son, just like bigger, same head. So, I I have another. We were talking about these uh, versions, mm-hmm. the voodoo version. If you watch Willy Wonka on there, is this Paramount one in one eighty five? For some reason, Movies Anywhere carries a different version. I don't understand with the Warner Brothers logo. I'm, I'm this was I'm only for the fiftieth anniversary that they restored. I'm it. obsessed with this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway. The because uh, we're with the Beauregards right now. The uh, the chocolate that they're unwrapping wood, wooden uh, with pieces of wood to uh, get away from. I can be. I imagine the excessive amounts of chocolate that will be used to be unwrapped. Yeah. Again. So that's wood. Yeah. I, uh, you know, we'll get to like the more fantastical stuff, but the the relief that all these people had that's always amused me ever since I was young watching this. It's like watching one person like. We fucking did it. Like we can stop now. Like that's, <laughs> that's a really funny idea to me. That like the one strategy that this guy is like, I have all the money, so we'll just keep doing this as long as we can until we find. Them. Which I don't like. I don't like the representation. So the representation of people with scars on their faces in this. That uh, <laughs> all evil. They're all evil. Yeah, man. always evil. Always evil. <laughs> so. This yeah. first the, the uh, this movie inspired uh, the first act of uh, one of my favorite Family Guy episodes. By the way, if you okay. remember the one where where Peter went to the brewery? Yeah, it, it's the one that started the knee gag where he ran home, run home, Peter, run, and he goes, ah, that the, one. The the cultural relevance that Wonka's had is certainly quite strong. The um, Oompa Loompas, the, the Oompa Loompas were the uh, the minions of their day, and they only needed one movie to. Take the world by storm, and no for real yeah. songs. Uh, and the Futurama episode is also the Futurama excellent. episode. Is yes, oh, there was yeah. a, yep. Tell it's them that... I hate them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, no, the, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> Futurama. <laughs> um, I love technology. Look at that. Just yeah. I, I I I yearn for the days of. The stuff happening in machines where it's just right. glowing buttons, switches, things on reels. It's like, yeah, tech. <laughs> like that's that's a mach- that's doing everything. Like, okay, cool. Soon, soon enough to have a facility machine. Yeah, so we have more power in our phones than any of that. Mm-hmm. But I've I've got the nostalgia for like you know the Bond room, the Starship with just a bunch of. Button flips and switches and I wonder glowing. What, I wonder what Ken Adams could have done with a Willy Wonka. <laughs> oh oh my gosh! There had to be a there. Well, they have a tram, so they're good. Yeah. <laughs> Another big thing about this movie that 
I don't know how many other movies did this, but it's a movie filled with candy, which is certainly going to appeal to kids and to end candy and people eating candy and talking about candy and showing candy. And it's actual like, candy you can buy. Right. This that That's the interesting part of the backstory. This movie was produced by, it's a Quaker Oats who bought the rights to yeah. the novel with the intention of starting a line of Wonka candy, which they did. Uh, I which think eventually sold to Nestle. And the Gobstopper was new. This is like seeing Mario Brothers 3 in The Wizard. Because mm. the Gobstopper, <laughs> yeah. I believe was like a the new Gobstopper thing. Yeah. was, yeah, yeah. It was oh, a real thing regard. because the, they bought the, the right. Salt, salt, salt is the other one. Quaker Sorry, Oats but... bought the rights to this book with the intention of making this movie and starting a line of Willy Wonka candy, which they did. And when I was growing up and into the 2000s, you would mm. see five or six different candy bars you could buy that had Willy Wonka on, on it. Which mm -hmm. part of the reason they call this movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory instead of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yep. Yeah. The shorthand is there. But I didn't never realize this was an independently made movie that that Paramount then distributed and then they sold it off um, because it wasn't that popular and they sold it off to Warner Brothers who figured out some way to make it popular. Um, but as to its longevity, I mean, it's it's it, it, as you know, it's got that thing that some of the the the, the best kids movies have, which is a sense of malevolence not just in gene wilder's character who is obviously sort of putting on an act to try to determine who is the best but the world charlie lives in has malevolence in it he's obviously very poor the other kids are very rich and can afford to buy hundreds and hundreds of wonka bars and it's a dangerous world slugworth is malevolent when he pops up and and and, and says says things and as brandon mentioned earlier in these days i think people are a little more precious about what we show kids and anything that sort of has that dark fairy tale element of learn your lesson because there's scary stuff out there, it doesn't quite fly anymore. But I think we were right when we thought kids could handle stuff like this. I was never scared by the darkness of this movie. I was intrigued by it and brought back to it again and again because of Gene Wilder's character in this strange... Well, I would argue, first of all, I mean, if you go back and read the original reviews of this in 1971, even then they were talking about what a refreshing picture this was because it wasn't afraid to be scary. It wasn't afraid to be, you know, to be a little dark and a little edgy. So even then there was a certain conventional wisdom that kids films were more concerned about what wasn't in them versus what was. Mm -hmm. That being said, I mean, for as long as I've been alive, we've been having variations of that conversation. And yet films that are just a little bit off the beaten path are the ones that either become present tense it's mm -hmm. like, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas or... I mean, I still think it's a garbage movie, but that's why one reason why Ocus Pocus is endured. Mm -hmm. Because in 1993, it was a little weird to have this PG-rated kids film where children are killed and teens are horny and what have you. And, you know, witches are real. And it's done in a very, you know, relatively harmless right. way, but that still counts as somewhat taboo, especially, especially in 19, you know, back then, you know, 30 years ago, where you had far more of a dividing line between these are films for adults and these are films for kids. Well, nowadays uh, you, you counter it with the animation films as far as for every time, you know, every once when Leica comes out with something or Henry Selleck has something or what have you, which yeah. yes, has, they tip their hand in, you know, to that well, you know, a little bit more obviously. The, the counter on that is you get these Pixar movies or even some DreamWorks every now and then that lean into adult sensibilities. It's less about scary and more about hitting you with the real world. Um, and with thematically speaking, uh, the thing and we that, definitely want to 
separated these days, which is which is interesting. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, the person whose work I was thinking about today that this sort of predicts is sort of Tim Burton, because Tim Burton's, ironically, of course, he made his own version of this book, but Tim Burton's work, which appeared 10 or so, 15 years later, it also, they are films that could, if you look at them from a certain angle, could be films for children, but they're filled with Frankly, in Burton's case, darkness and sort of perversion and sex, which is great. I mean, his Batman movie from 89 is not just dark like a Batman story. It's dark like Nosferatu is or something. It's 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 filled with ideas that are slightly off-putting if you're just a child. So it's obviously made to be enjoyed by children and adults. And so is this. And so are the first five or six Disney movies. The you know, I'm, I'm the in the in the the in Snow White. You know, the evil queen is obviously pretty compelling and scary. And you think of the Woody Allen gag in Annie Hall about being attracted to the the evil queen. There's always that idea that some kids just you're drawn to the bad guy. You're drawn to Willy Wonka because he's weird and interesting. We've kind well, of I, that off a little bit. I, I also think there's 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 a conversation that always comes about. When you have a quote unquote kids film that's a bit more mature and more sophisticated and there's the con, oh, you know, this film's really for adults and I always cry, you know, to that bullshit. Yes. This movie, this movie, the Pixar movies, the the Burton films, they're eight you know, the Lakia pictures, they're they're not aimed at adults, they're aimed at smart children. Yes. And I think where, you know, and and forgive me for being lazy here, but the comparison I always make is that. You know, The Last Jedi is a movie aimed at smart kids, while The Rise of Skywalker is aimed at dumb adults. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, you know, I, I, maliciousness of my opinion notwithstanding, I think there is a certain, you know, films like this endure, not because they're, oh, ho, ho, there's cool stuff that adults are going to laugh at, and there's a sex joke, or, oh, my goodness, they said a four-letter word. It's that these films are aimed at children but they don't talk down to children. They meet right. them on their level yeah. and they treat them as the aware human beings in the world as it exists. Right, because you know, kids Hunger are aware that dark and scary stuff in the world. They can yeah. tell already. And it's good to have that in the movie too, in some form that's palatable, you know? It's it's funny um, that we're talking about this the, the week after a new Miyazaki film has topped the box office, by the way, where the, yeah. the, yeah. he's a filmmaker that certainly, you know, makes a film that's for, I, makes films for generally anybody. Especially um, in Japan, he's not. They don't make sense. <laughs> they don't understand. No. Um. Uh, you, yeah, that's that's another perfect example. You know, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, those are not. I would argue those are not films explicitly aimed at adults. They're just aimed at. You know, they're kids' films that are just good. Right, if you hit that sweet spot, an adult's going to like it as well. Yeah, exactly. Remember that. You know. Um, so here's my question. Who's doing that now? Like on a consistent basis. I'm not saying like, you know, Guillermo del Toro who makes, you know, one Pinocchio movie. Who's like, who, what, what's, where is this coming from and more on a, like a consistent level? Well, it's weird. I mean, just because I think we have fewer just for kids movies, especially in live action these days. Yeah, everything's a but, you know, That's one reason I'm, I'm such a fan of the house with the clock in its walls, Eli Roth's picture, <laughs> which to me. House with the what in its walls, Scott? <laughs> did I say it wrong? The house with no, the clock? You did not. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, or even, you know, discourse notwithstanding, I still think, you know, Legends of the Guardians or whatever it's called is Zack Snyder's yeah. best film. And that to me is a spectacular war. I hope you bring that up tomorrow, Rebel Moon. I hope you, I hope you <laughs> he's, he's going to be there. He's going to have a QA afterwards. Um, 
I will not force that subject, but it come, if it comes up, I will bring it up. <laughs> Zach, it's me, Scott. I you know, from, you know, it's from me. Twitter. <laughs> it's me, the um, serial guy. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, I always enjoy when you have filmmakers that are known for like, you know, R-rated slash adult skewing stuff to play in the kids' sandbox and just knock it out of the park because. You know, for them, it's 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 challenge that they rise to, to funnel their sensibilities into a PG-rated environment. Well, that's why the like the intriguing answer that I have to this question: he has to make more films. It's David F. Sandberg. I mean, he's a oh, horror yeah. film. He's a horror oh, God, filmmaker yes. that has gone to make two Shazam movies that very much lean into how do we make a you know a four quadrant superhero movie, but one that is designed to resemble like Amblin like entertainment for kids that don't mind getting a little bit scared. And that's, you know, I, even I there, there was a certain discourse film. of, you know, oh, this film's too intense and scary for children. Like, fuck you. But that's, um, it's, that's that came from, I think, that Eric, that the Amblin era. Yeah. Fake Spielberg movies started the idea that some movies were too scary for kids. Whereas in reality, I think Spielberg is one of the guys who has always kept that edge to his work. Yeah. And then carries on this sort of tradition of a movie can have, can go almost too far for kids. And you just scare them a little bit, you know, which is, Wait. which is, you know, I think he also, wanted, he, that's why he carved out like a brand so he can keep that going. Because I you feel also like didn't if anything, have... you probably saw him with the edges getting sand down. And so it's like, well, yeah. let me have like, Nowadays, say you're right. Nowadays, if you ask an adult what they thought of a kid's movie, the answer is always if they didn't like it, it's because they didn't think it was appropriate for kids. And I'm always like, what did you think, though? Did you think it was good? It's just not even, it's not even, I don't want to bring her. My, my, my mother in law, for instance, sits here all day when she comes over and watches. Pixar movies and Disney movies with my kids and I can tell that you're just refusing to access them with them at all because if you're a grown up you don't you can't you can't watch animated movies that some people just think that's the way it is mm-hmm. it's a sad thing to see but a lot of people are like that and I, I think that's very restrictive well I want to add yeah. in, those, in those early a- Amblin years there was no PG-13 and yeah. PG was there so Poltergeist yeah. was just as fair game as E.T. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember the, the heart getting pulled out of the guy's chest Temple of Doom I, I was not it didn't bother I me saw it. it spooked the shit out of me when i was a kid but awesome yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Right away, you know yeah um and that's the it's weird because that movie because that's the one i had like on tape. Uh, update for listeners we're not at the chocolate factory just in case you're wondering but the the imagery that's we'll let you know the imagery that stuck out to me with temple of doom it, it's not it's not, like because i have a tarantula it's not like the bug stuff but it's the it's the image of when when Indy's like he's shoving his face in the hole saying we're going to die like that close yeah. up or when it's getting that close and he's holding short round and the, the spears like are coming like on his hat. That's the stuff that stuck with me as far as like, well, this seems dangerous. It's not like hard <laughs> stuff. It's like, okay, I put my heart in the chest the other day. The heart in the chest, that guy in Indiana Jones, like being evil, that that freaked me out as a kid. That was that was what got me. Yeah, and I'm not saying like I'm bulletproof. It's just like there's just something that's the what was being evocative. Like that movie's very much clearly trying to be evocative for sure. Like it's not mm-hmm. uh, it's not surprising, and it feels like that should be more of a bragging around Spielberg's part. Yeah. It's like I made movies so intense they create a new rating. Like yeah, that it's should be. Sure. A- <laughs> okay. I myself in the theater at whatever age eight, and I remember thinking, God damn, te- peeling off your face is pretty intense. Oh yeah, Poltergeist said that. The yeah. Poltergeist like, didn't watch for the longest time it, because of like of scary clown like, boy. Like, um, and I, you know, I've always found Raiders to be the mo- more violent and and it is it's a more nastier picture. Yeah, 
melting head. You know, from the one scene that gave me the heebie-jeebies when I was young enough to be impacted by stuff like that was when they're stuck in the 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 it and they they all the graves start popping out at them. When Spielberg's like, let's just have some fun here. Let's throw skeletons of Karen Allen for a bit. Why not? And I think a lot of it is. Hold on. Char- right now, Charlie's like, oh, down to the dumps. I'm so sad. Let me look into this grate over here where I belong. Oh, there's a gold coin. <laughs> I, can, um, I guess I could buy some I chocolate with this. <laughs> Brought to you by Phillips. I've Phillips. never heard this before. That yeah, right. After, after his, his teacher poverty this. shames him in front of the whole class. Well, that was Yancy, a nice touch. I've never heard this idea that the movie sucks until they get to the... I think this stuff is so great at, at, at just... A, observing class on this level you know update and he's just at the candy store not i can't believe this is the thing this movie is in, in jack albertson is so good in sort of wanting him to find the thing i can't believe it's the idea is formed that this movie doesn't well i just think you get fun intros six to or the seven kids. times you might skip to the chocolate factory stuff mm-hmm. i've never even thought about skipping to the job not for a yeah. second what horrible people you all are Oh, I never did it. Look at him. I never wait to pay for it. He's so poor and hungry and sad. <laughs> He's, He's so, so fucking making poor. This poor kid. He's you poor. know what? He could sell the golden ticket, make enough to like, you know, help his family out. But no, no, he go. wants to take. A I want a tour of a chocolate factory. Well, he lives two blocks away from it. These other kids are coming in from you know thousands of miles away mm-hmm. it is it's he's like it's like the florida project he's just right next door at the chocolate factory <laughs> 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 he's probably always yeah, here he probably, he's probably heard that Oompa song in his sleep for years he just never yeah. said anything it's so well staged when he opens this ticket that guy the guy on the far left the with the charlie black, looks he's way so too modern sad. There's a guy with like a goatee. Not to be modern. I think it's meant to be 1971. No, I meant no. He looks like some time traveler went and like stood in for <laughs> oh, a I shot. See. Like, like right there behind. Yeah, but the goatee. Yeah, that like, guy. He, yeah, yeah, that guy. He looks way too like timeless, I guess, because he could be a. That, 90s that looks guy like somebody's stepdad that's on a break. Yeah, <laughs> he's a Slugworth <laughs> operative. Oh, he didn't mention it, but the uh, when they show the guy who, who now we know was a liar and didn't have a ticket, that was yeah. actually Martin Borman. The Hitler secretary. The yeah, that was trial. the, yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> fun gag. Because he's in, yeah, like, Brazil or whatever. Like, it's that. like a joke. This yeah. is so beautifully staged. The finding of this. If you don't feel this, and you wouldn't have felt it if you hadn't. It's a credit to Peter Ostrom, who this is his only movie. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they search for hundreds of kids to find all the kids for this thing. And he did. He did he Every kid it. knows this feeling his right here. His career took off right after this. <laughs> well, he did. I mean, I know you're joking. But, like, yeah, he, he you know, he. He got you know rich out of the you know off of this eventually and bought a horse and then he became a vet. He retired. Then, you know. Yeah, I saw that. He said he was underwhelmed at the premiere, which I guess yeah. well, he's not for everybody. What was he gonna do? We'll go to sex. My meme all said the movie was shit. <laughs> I think he's an American kid. Well, he had to learn an right. accent for all this. No accent needed. They're not actually not in yeah, America. It's, it's kind of it's that North Atlantic thing. It's just kind of like yeah. All right. Uh, Almost knocked down those old people. This is scary. I remember this being scary. The idea that an adult could take that ticket from him. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. the guy go, go, Charlie, run home fast. Don't turn around. It's intense. It's scary because it's true. You may be murdered. Go, go down every dark alley you can. We've already been shown explicitly that adults want these tickets just as bad as kids do, you know. We can't I think hear it's it. very beautifully set up with the class stuff to see that this guy is is, is this is just a miracle that's happened in this kid's life. 
And there's Slimwort. Feels like they yoinked, yoinked him out of the prisoner and put him here. <laughs> He's like a guy in the booth. Like he'd be the yeah, he'd be like a control yeah. guy, yeah. Yeah. Is he in anything else we know? I feel like his face is so got a big rubbery face. So he seems pretty universal. Up. Let's see here. Slugworth. Gunter Meisner. Ah, Gunter, uh, yeah. Passed away in 94. Gunter. Um, he did a lot of theater acting. Um, and he was in relief efforts in Africa. Good for him. Um, Good for him. No, Jesus Christ. This filmography is pretty big. He's got a lot of small things. It's German movies. It's, it's a lot of German stuff. Under the Volcano. Uncredited. But did he audition for Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> what if he was in Raiders? <laughs> what if I found that right now? Uh, <laughs> the boys from Brazil. I feel like he'd have been class. used in like top secret. <laughs> oh, yeah. Christ. It yeah. feels like he'd fit in perfectly. In yeah, that. he would. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's mainly German stuff and you know, theater and everything else he's doing. So this is like his, his big break as far as major. In a, Andy McDowell, Liam Neeson movie Deception as Er Bruchner. He played Hitler several times, apparently. Which oh, yeah. I always wonder if a guy plays a part like Slugworth and everyone sees it, does he have trouble in real life because people just don't trust him when they see him? Like, well, it depends how you know, dress. You know, he has to, because it's it's one thing to have that face. Yeah, that was also, a problem back in this time. Like, you could, if you were in a part that good, you were done. Like, like people I don't like you. I'm not casting you. So well, that's why you specifically you. have to dress yourself a certain way, right? Like he's had, he's got, he's got the fortunate thing where he's wearing like a hat and all black and stuff. So if he dresses, it's a different like William Atherton, where it's like he just looks like an asshole, like no matter what, <laughs> no matter what he does. There's no or he, that he, poor he, that poor bastard that was on what Webster that or was it what, oh. different or something that <laughs> the very special episode and then never he had like a good career and then did that episode and. Mm. Not in demand anymore. Now, is this pre or post? This is pre Chico and the Man for Jack Albertson. Does anybody know? This guy playing Grandpa Joe is most famous, or at least used to be. I think it's probably pre. This is pre. This is pre Chico. The pre Chico Man is 74. All right. Because he is quite good in this. The deception is revealed. Him and uh, Freddie Prince, right? Chico the Man. Yeah. I once gave season one of that. As a gift in a white elephant one year. The um, the other the other grandfather the other grandfather, by the way, is basically blind uh, from like gas poisoning from World War One. Um there's like a right. he has to use like a red light from to like guide him where to look in scenes. Oh yeah, you can see in his glasses now. Yeah. I'm wondering why did you cast him if he was that difficult? Well, it's not like he has to get up and do a lot. <laughs> we need a grandpa. These kids these days. All these kids these days, all they do is sit in bed and watch TV. That's all those kids do. These they days. don't have a TV in his house. They're too huh? poor for TV. It's right behind them. Oh, fuck. Never mind. Yeah, it's called a television We set. saw them watching it earlier when they found, like, yeah. the, when, the, when the last ticket was found, and they're this all sad. Incredibly small, even for 71 set. Now, if this guy never got out of bed in 20 years, which is what the idea is. No, it has not stood up in 20 years. The, 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 I remember like as a kid be shot. The place would just be, they would be fused together into one being, like a Lovecraft thing. Exactly. It'd be very much a Lovecraft thing. That's what we should be saying. Society. society. I would love to see Stuart Gordon's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I would love to see Wes Anderson's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'd like to see what he would do. Yeah, but that's less gross. Let's stick with the gross imagery of Stuart Gordon. David Cronenberg's (laughs) Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 
Lynch is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> I mean, Videodrome could be his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, honestly. Every director has the made their own Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. To the Great Glass Elevator. The prestige is Nolan's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm going to drop the factory. didn't hear a fucking like... thing in the factory. It'd be too loud. The <laughs> machines would be at like full blast. And Wonka would be like, what? 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 God damn it, Nolan. You just go to better theaters. No, I was sitting in the middle of an IMAX. I like that your thought was that he'd be fused together. I'm just thinking, like, he hasn't got up in 20 years. He's awfully spry. <laughs> oh yes. I mean, it's, it's... once he gets out of the bed, he's like, okay, I'm gonna, let me do some let me do some stretches here. Maybe I'll wear that suit I own instead of this one long sheet that I wear that's covered in my mess. Uh, so it could that... just multi four quadruple sponge baths every day. I mean, Charlie's mother, right? Have like you seen her? His mother's face. She's not. She's not, she's not by any of this. <laughs> oh, they have not been bathed in twenty years. That would be interesting too. And boy, does she is like? I guess take your grandpa, even though I'm the one taking care of everybody. I guess yeah. Don't don't take me to the chocolate factory. I didn't want to go anyway. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's yeah. got a take, old take one out of four grandparents is going to drop dead any second instead of your poor mob who makes three meals a day for five people yeah i don't need it i don't need charlie to we could just leave here and then just don't come back why would i want to go could, to a chocolate factory leave them in the bed this is another just... reason that roald Dahl took his name off because he didn't like the idea of it being a musical yeah he hated the songs <laughs> the songs are written by Le- uh anthony newley and i think it's leslie Bercuse. the lyrics down was uh, hey, forgive yeah. me if i'm wrong but wasn't this that the same deal with mary poppins when it got turned yes. into a film then one yeah. song according to the yeah. tom hanks Different movie i saw yeah incredibly precious the 20th century incredibly difficult according to say, mr banks or written by those two by prestige by for kids newley, <laughs> anthony newley was famous because he played uh, Artful Dodger and David Lean's Oliver Twist. He was a child actor, Anthony Newley. And I think he's in the Garbage Pail Kids movie, right? Isn't that where he ended up? I think there are even songs in that by him. Hmm. But they're who they ended up writing these songs. They also wrote with John Barry, the Goldfinger. The thing prior to this, the song oh. they were known for was Goldfinger, Percuse and Newley. And they wanted they John Barry for this score and he uh, declined. They wanted Richard Rogers. They wanted everybody. They want everybody. Yeah, so we'll get we'll get to we'll get to Wonka in a second. As far as who they wanted for Wonka, but uh, we got a we got a lot of things to go through there. Uh, All five money Python guys. We'll go through. Out. We'll get there. Jesus, <laughs> I'm just amazed by that. I would have put what, uh, something Yancey has mentioned a couple times here that uh, this is an independent movie, and this is probably in a good category of independent movies you'd never have guessed were independent movies. Like, yeah. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. This, um, what are some what other it? ones? Huh? Yeah, Ninja Turtles 1990 yeah, a, was an independent yeah. movie. That was the biggest grossing indie of all time for a while. Till uh, wedding Blair Witch, or Blair Witch, yeah. Blair Witch Project. Yeah, because Ninja Turtles passed Halloween, and then Blair Witch passed Ninja Turtles. I imagine a lot of 80s horror movies are independent movies that just got bought or whatever, right? In this case, it's yeah. quicker. Oh, it's, it just means independent. They're just not a movie studio. But oh yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. technically yeah. But I there's, mean, there's yeah. this... three million dollars, which you know, it's not cheap for this time. It's not I think it super like high four, either. Right? Yeah. This movie also inspired a uh, pretty awesome female alt rock band in the '90s called Baruch Assault. Mm-hmm. Name after this. Seether, Volcano mm-hmm. Girls, Volcano mm-hmm. Girls. Yeah, that's they were awesome. everywhere. I do like the news reporting and like there's all the kids. Here they are. Who's that last one? That's Charlie. You know, whatever. 
fuck that guy. <laughs> He's, He's so, so fucking poor. <laughs> There's that poor bastard. Get a, get, a, get a shot of this. I think I see flies flying off his hat. He's so poor. <laughs> He's so fucking poor. Um, How old is his grandpa? That guy is old, man. He's going to die at any oh. moment. He's supposed to be in the book wise, and I assume film wise, he's supposed to be 96 and a half. That's like the number yep. they give for his age. Alberson's not that old, but because that'd be wild. Or yeah, uh, it's kind of crazy as no one's ever thought to like with theme parks and stuff to like do a Wonka section, Wonka size, or a doll, a doll section that has a Wonka ride or something. Like, you'd think that'd be. The Matilda ride, where like a a a large woman grabs you and throws you by your hair. As far as I'm concerned, his stuff still gets out there in education wise. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah, like because I mean, Universal has a Dr. Seuss area. Well, Netflix has all the rights now, so once they get enough, you know, new subscribers, they can open the Wonka Land or Chocolate Factory or a fantastic Mr. Theme Park or whatever they want. Netflixville, where you stay home and do the theme park. Why leave the house? We may as well go over the thing that I think everybody knows about this bit of trivia right here, where Gene Wilder accepted the park on 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 uh, one uh, directive that this opening scene with him, this was very much his uh, creation, where he would walk up with a limp, uh, pretend to do all this business, and then do a little somersault and pop up in the air. The idea being that then nobody would ever know if he's either telling the truth or lying. Uh, so he keep you on your toes. That's the kind We're of way like, you want to play the character, which is a clever like, thing yeah. to do. Um, oh, it's great. This is styrofoam, by the way. The cane is styrofoam, and these like bits of steps and whatnot in front of him are styrofoam, so he can pull off a little somersault and not, you know, destroy his back on bricks. We're like forty minutes in, right? Yeah, we're mm-hmm. finally like 40, forty-five minutes into the movie. I told you guys we should have started the commentary here. And, uh, <laughs> I just can't stand development and build up and suspense and songs. Who wants to watch a bunch of kids. poor people? Jesus. And gee, I mean, looking at the beautiful city, you know, all this stuff and b- building up the mystique of the, yeah, you know, like a movie does. Slugger's not even trying to hide. Like, he's a terrible spy if he was actually a spy. <laughs> he's just, like, right there. <laughs> like, he's on every TV shot. Every time they win something, the guy's there. He'd be a terrible spy. <laughs> like, who is that? Oh, that's Slugworth. He owns the other chocolate factory. Who is he? <laughs> the guy standing to the left of Veruca Salt right now. The one that's peering out with his eyes <laughs> wide open. He's making his with hands make a money noise. Scar. He's got a scar, fa- scar in his face, which means you cannot trust him at any cost. <laughs> Got a big S on his chest. Talk about this. Look at the measures Willy Wonka is taking, hiring this guy to go out and do these counter offers. He's incredibly paranoid. And, and later we find out that he's just sort of sweet, innocent, and who was sort of burned by the world, and that's why he behaves the way he does. But but it's you know yeah, that's what I'm waiting for the Wonka, with the Wonka sequel, the one that burns him out from society. So this is like one of the best coats ever on film right yeah and this costume is very much wilder's design it's, as well i guess yeah. he was the very involved in the great. costuming great the hat he had down down to the measurements of the hat that's how involved he was mm-hmm. with wanting to get the costume right and yeah it absolutely sticks out i think it's sold for like what like seventy four thousand dollars or something to whoever owns it now currently yeah i mean it's a it's a great out i mean it's a yeah it's wonderful great color scheme like what i like is that it looks functional like it looks like it's comfortable to wear, and like you can, well, like he can do somersaults and stuff. In. The hat, I mean, makes you think of a chocolate uh, bar, yeah. and then like yeah. the the purple is almost like he's almost like got a wrapper. Like it, it's crazy. It, it's 
perfect. Like uh, you can't really. And the rest of you, bye. Go away. <laughs> you will never see my factory. They're just waiting out there. Like I guess that's it. That's the last time we saw Willy Wonka. <laughs> famous, wow, this is what inside this little building is. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the ultimate bag of holding, the chocolate factory. <laughs> okay, so Wonka, tons of people. <laughs> <laughs> the on the Wonka list. The most famous one has always been a rumor. It's not actually true. It's Fred Astaire. Um, they, he was never actually considered. It's just more like, yeah, that would be fun if this was 20 years ago. Yeah, sure. Let's get Fred Astaire here. Why not? Um, he was busy not being Dirty Harry. Yeah. Joel Gray <laughs> was the front runner for a long time. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I could. Yeah. Yeah. The thing was, he's just he's a little guy. Um, they didn't, they, they, they needed someone that had a bit more of an imposing nature. Obviously, you get Gene Wilder. How things work out for him? Did he have a, Did he have a career after that? Did yeah, barely. Gray? It's funny because Cabaret was filming at the same time at this, and um, Bob Fosse would constantly come to the set to complain every single day about how loud they were being on the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory set. So I assume Joel Gray was over there saying, "Go bug Mel, <laughs> go bug down." It cost me <laughs> Wilder cost my fucking role, and now I got to get this stupid Cabaret movie instead. <laughs> um, Fuck you, Gene. I got an Oscar. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you got a lot of Brits in here. Ron Moody, John Pertwee, who couldn't do it because of uh, Doctor Who. Per- oh, okay, yeah, do- yeah, he was Doctor Who at the time. But he was a funny thing was like he was a comedic actor, but when he did Doctor Who, he was serious. More serious. Sidney so. James, Kenneth Williams, Frankie Howard, Dudley Moore, which he's too like he's not, he's not very known at that point for Dudley Moore, but uh, Peter Cook, Michael Crawford, uh, Dole wanted Spike Milligan. And so he wanted to play um, uh, Wonka, uh, which was another reason why he disowned the movie, because they cast this Gene Wilder character and not the guy he wanted. Um, yes, as you mentioned, Yancey, every single Monty Python member uh, wanted to, was interested. That's crazy. Um, they were deemed not popular enough at the time. That was one of the reasons. Oh, wow. Uh, Palin, Eric, pa- Palin or Idol would have been the best. For... Idol does end up doing the audio version of the book. Um, so, hmm. you know, he's in there in spirit. To some degree, at least could have done it, but it would have been a different Willy Wonka for sure. Oh, go in the chocolate factory, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, right? And, and go what, in there, yeah, go if, in the chocolate if, factory. If Cleese did it, we'd all hate him now, so it'd be really hard to do, uh, to enjoy this movie still. I mean, uh, Wonka is like it, it's kind of funny that the wilder Wonka kind of encompasses like aspects of each Python member almost. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, kinda, yeah. it's yeah. pretty funny because I can see because he's got the Cleese would hate the kids. Yeah, uh, idle the thing would be the song per part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Palin, sort of the dopiness. Yeah, um, the dope, yeah. Graham Chapman for the heroic, the speeches at the end. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Gilliam he- would be the Oompa Loompas, or yeah, so. Gill- Gilliam would, yeah. <laughs> oh, the Gilliam count. I don't know where Jones count. fits in, but yeah, you figure he'd be the drunk one. Um, yeah, Peter Sellers begged Doll for the part, didn't happen, but he was a uh, very interested in doing it. Um and what else? Anybody else in here? Uh, no, that's all. Yeah, there's but there's certainly a lot of uh nobody said hey, how about Gene Hackman? Not one person. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> Marlon, Bra- Marlon Brando was like, I dare you. <laughs> I dare you to ask me. <laughs> um, let's see. There's some other casting things really? here. Gene Stapleton turned down Mrs. TV because she was working on a pilot for All in the Family. And uh, that that, that uh, paid off quite a bit. Um, let's see. Uh, Jim Backus, who's Thurston Howell on Gilligan's Island, he was considered for Sambo Regard. 
Uh, that didn't happen, but he was in the running. So now I'm thinking Young Pacino. Young Pacino, yeah. Hey, kids. <laughs> Take you to the chocolate factory. You can go in one time, but you don't touch. They poison the chocolate. You don't touch at all. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> just name all the Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> well, he got it eventually. Yeah, he's Mr. Megorium. Mr. Go, Mr. Megorium, yeah. <laughs> Dreyfus, Pardon. Richard Dreyfus would have been a good one. Uh, oh yeah, he's yeah, like America, a, America, seventy-one. So he's fucking Giamatti. He's a kid. Like, walk, 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 he's breathe. a kid, but he can do it. Uh, I love the music cue um, here um, with pure imagination as they get into the actual factory. Everybody loves it, but I said it first, so there. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I mean, not Rockman enough. It's Mozart. Because if, if we're emphasizing the fact that this is an independent production, it only has so much budget to work with, and that it's shot in a way where, yes, it's not the grand MGM musical. Mm-hmm. Universal Studios by, presents Super Mario Land. By comparison, running a little bit. It does actually. It does, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, so to counter the fact that yes, at the end of the day, it just looks like a set with colors in it. it still looks good, but you know. I do think that having the having the right music cue like it does here with, with pure imagination, it, it is pretty. The wonder is present. The wonder is there in a way that it wouldn't be without something like that. I will say, as a kid, it looked great to me. I was not worrying about that. It didn't look as good as it should. Yeah, as a kid, I, I, it's more like I look at it now, and it's like, yeah, it is just like a set. Like, but, well, yeah. also, it look, it almost looks functional in a way that a more stylized production might not. Yeah, it's a chocolate factory. Yeah, <laughs> like. It's plausible in a skewed way. Well, that's the thing. I haven't watched um, Charlie at the Chocolate Factory since theaters, but you guys talked about it on the Brandon Peters show uh, for mm-hmm. your Burton retrospective, and you got you guys are more or less positive on the movie, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's solid. It, it, it's a movie that people think they want to hate, but if you watch it, you're like, okay, this ain't bad. And yeah, I, is... I, and as I recall, I had I was fine with it. Like I don't have fond like super fond memories. Just more like yeah, that was fine. Uh, but that is a factor that looks like this this like impossible land right it's not it's it, mm-hmm. it's not clearly functional in the same way it's more of a you know a what if machine that you know what happens when you get a hundred million dollars to make a chocolate factory movie where this yes it makes sense it's there's, there's all it has is you know gene wilder doing moves and you know things that it's, are edible it's the brian cox of chocolate factories exactly <laughs> you aren't serious chocolatiers <laughs> Never can get to the Great Glass Elevator, though. We can keep making Willy Wonka movies, but we never get to that glass elevator. Doll held the right. Yeah, he said, no, thank you. (laughs) If you fucked up my movie, I'm fucking with your franchise. And even now. This is 71, right? So he'd done Bonnie and Clyde. He'd done Bonnie and Clyde, and he'd done producers. So, you know, he's around. I just think of his three big performances. I think for most people are the producers, this and Young Young Frankenstein, in terms of just being incredibly manic on screen in a way no one else had ever been. The way he is when he gets emphatic is just like nothing else. I mean, Young Frankenstein, and it's interesting too. You know, while they always sort of wanted to be a, a you know, a, a writer director, he'd done a bunch of movies. Sherlock Holmes, Smarter Brother, and The World's Greatest Lover, and he was the original writer of young frankenstein he brought that to mel brooks i think and then mel yeah. brooks had all the jokes because i think <laughs> i don't know whether and you know he's doing the woman in red in the 80s and hanky panky with with his wife i just even something like silver streak you know that's him doing being a hitchcock lead and it's like i get you can get it because like you look at gene wilder and it's like sure like he you can see like the comedic 
characters he's played, but like he's he's like a, if if we can make Dustin Hoffman into a leading man, you can see Gene Wilder being like a handsome leading man type. Like there's something there that could like make it work in the same way. Given there's the opportunity, shade, there's slight shades of like Nicolas Cage when I look at him these days. Oh yeah, oh for entirely oh, yeah. entirely in the yeah. face. Yes, you can see it. Even just in in the way he was. I mean, what's his name? Jeremy Allen from The Bear. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy Allen. He's totally going to win an Oscar for a Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a spitting image in certain angles. He sort of went away, right? We don't think of too many Gene Wilder movies from the eighties or nineties. Well, the eighties, I think you you pot you you grasp onto the 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 prior. collaborations more than anything but yeah i mean 70s was like his heyday for him for sure you still you just think of you just think of you just regard him as comedic genius which is funny when you think about yes it really does extend to like basically a 10-year period there i mean well that's what you know not get too navel gazy here but when we talk about certain actors careers and their you know moments in the spotlight that people say oh i missed that era yada 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 it's like half the time it was basically a flash in the pan compared to their entire lives for example we just got a trailer this morning for beverly Hills cup four with you know and again i mean when you think of prototypical eddie murphy it was basically from 1982 to 1988 Arguably, yeah. give or take. Well, you have, I mean, you get there. And to, that's not to say everything else he did was bad. I mean, I like Boomerang. I like Distinguished Gentlemen. And well, you get, but... yeah, you, as far as him running the game, like, sure, it's that. But he, but he does have a couple resurgences because, like, the 90s, yeah. he gets Nutty Professor to Bowfinger. He gets like a. But even that was sort a... of him. To me, the Bunny Professor Reg- was it's regardless of, that persona. Regardless of like artistic intentions or what have you, he still became yeah. a box office hit guy again yes. in the way that he hadn't been for a few years. Then that stops for a bit. Then he does Daddy Daycare. That's huge. And he does like a family run for a bit there. Stallone, that, right? Stallone managed to do that a few times as well. Stallone, really yeah. like, other than Eddie Murphy that managed to come back a few times. No, oh. Eddie Murphy never went straight to video like Stallone did for a few years. Also true. That's true. He's never had a straight. Has he ever had a straight well, now, well, video? Well, he's doing Netflix he, he, now. I mean, not kind of streaming. He avoided it because he's he's old. He's a, he's older, so yeah. he, he can do Netflix stuff where it doesn't really count in the same way. Yeah. Oh, the God, one. The one I'm surprised as I guess he started to do it though is Will Ferrell, where like because he's like Eurovision's like a Netflix movie, but like Will Ferrell's one word. When you think about it, like yeah, his period was like the 2000s. He had a huge run mm-hmm. there, uh, then that. It's hard to say it ended, but he's just you can tell he's doing supporting roles now when it comes to like big movies, and otherwise it's Eurovision or you know, whatever else is gonna come along. Then there are other people who managed to just hang on for like Anthony Hopkins has been consistently around for decades now, whose star has basically been the same. Like, how do you manage? I guess if Gene Wilder was willing to turn this down if they didn't put that scene with the fall in, then maybe he's just one of these guys who was a little not to say difficult, but he probably oh, he still has, has Brooks though at that point. Like this is seventy one, so he still has the Brooks. Brooks I don't like, know how run. how well how close they were after that year that did those two great movies. I, I don't know whether what we said. I remember listening to the whole commentary on the old Yell Frankenstein, and I remember thinking there seemed to be some tension between Brooks. Oh, and, I would and, agree. And, as far as I mean, there's a reason you know Dom DeLuise is in every state, you know Bill Brooks movies, and G. <laughs> Wilder isn't like because you know like you said, he wants to be a writer. He wants to be a guy that can do his own, you know, pull his own. Yeah things together where mel yeah. brooks is like let me just get the crew together and like have some fun like it's a little different but i did i i i can hear you but like it's again this movie wasn't a huge hit like he got a golden globe nomination that's it like if if this isn't on his resume i'm not going to say the world wouldn't be different but i can i do think that he'd still have a pretty similar trajectory in his career 
just think yeah, of the rest I mean, of he just might get another level. opportunity to do something else. He might, you know, mm. he might be I in Scarecrow like, with Gene Hackman instead of Pacino. Well, think about all those movies. <laughs> think about all the movies that came after 73 or so in the 70s. There's a lot of movies where you certainly would have wanted to have Gene Wilder in it if you could. Sure. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, maybe. I mean, he must have been incredibly selective and focused on his own writer-director movies, which is certainly an honorable thing to do. Um, but I think he's... I wish there were two or three more really great and beloved Gene Wilder movies beyond the ones we have. And like Blazing Saddles is a great movie, but he's not, he's sort of doing a favor. We have Wonka, the producers and, and Young Frankenstein, which is not nothing, but as Scott's saying, yeah. Well, so. We, uh, we watched last year, Scott and I watched uh, Hanky Panky for, that is uh, so, and it was Gene not Wilder good. And, and he's just like, playing the hits kind of pedestrian yeah. in that one. It was kind of it was kind of disappointing because I was like, oh, the Sydney Potier directed uh Gene Hackman, Gilda Radner movie. This is gonna be this is gonna be a good time. And it was with Sydney Potier twice. We were wrong. It, it, it was it was a poor Hitchcock <clears throat> knockoff that it was over streak. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it hack it, it was just Gene Wilder. By the way, we just met the Oompa Loopas. Yeah, the Oompa Loopas. They're basically uh, taking care of the body, metaphorically yeah. speaking. <laughs> no, no um, not metaphorically. He died. He's dead. Yeah, yeah. It's, they, they, they're colorful they're languages. They're the, the equivalent of Harvey Keitel's The Wolf in Pulp Fiction. Exactly. They're a bunch oh, of Michael Flayton's. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are not the ones you kill. We are the ones you buy. Uh, there's ten Oompa Loopas. Nine of them are men. One's a woman. They hardly speak English. That's why the <laughs> if you really watch their mouths, they're not great as far as the singing goes. But, um, <laughs> yeah, still, uh, they're orange to hold off of any uh, other implications of what they represent. So good for them. Umpalumpas uh, were all proud. The scene that many remember, of course. Yeah, we'll get. We'll talk about this in a, a little. The Chocolate River, by the way, it's uh, water, chocolate, and cream. Um, it, it, a whole bunch of it. Um, they got the apparently they got it wrong initially and it turned blood red instead of uh you know, chocolate. So that must have been a fun way to look at that set for a while. I'd like to see those behind the scenes pictures. I oh, never got my uh, mind around what a chocolate river would be like it if I in the best world it would be thicker than this water seems. It'd be, to be. thicker and it seems like it'd be point. a mess. I wouldn't want to deal with that yeah. whatsoever. Get that yeah, away from me. No, thank you. Well, I don't oh. want to swim in that. That's nonsense. You know how like terrible your pores would be in minutes. Like it'd be, <laughs> you would you would suffocate. But you're like your skin would die. You'd be you'd die faster than mm-hmm. Honor Blackman and uh, or not Honor Blackman. <laughs> no, what's her face? A Goldfinger. <laughs> the other one. Yeah, yeah, I forget her name as well. Um, by the way, uh, as far as Gene Wilder goes, we're forgetting a little movie called Frisco Kid. Uh, oh, well, Harry. <laughs> that that didn't really land. No, it did. I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. But also, fun fact that I just learned. He did. He did. He was in Cuckoo's Nest on in Broadway. He was Billy Bob Bibbit. Um, that makes oh. a lot of sense. I wonder yeah. if I knew that already yeah, from the sixties. So, he like, so he's younger at that place. So that makes sense too. Yeah, I just thought that was funny. Yeah, he, he was in there. But you look at his filmography, which I'm looking at right now. It's not long. Like, there's there's less than thirty movies here, maybe less than twenty, honestly. But like, he's it's not like he had a huge filmography. I mean, he basically stopped after after the eighties. Um, he did that Leonard Nimoy movie. Right, funny about love. Yeah, which we all remember and love. The uh, Leonard Nemo comedy. You're no evil. Like, see no evil. Eighty nine. Yeah, that's like the last like peak yeah. him, and, and that's the you know the and art maybe the worst one the him and Pryor together. Um, but 
that's what it was after the after the 70s it was like those it was those combos and then like yeah hit like woman in red and those things where it's like leading man plays that don't really go anywhere and you know i don't know if coincidence or not but i believe gilda radner died in 89 yeah now he would get remarried so it wasn't like he was so out of it i like they obviously really loved each other and after that he clearly lost a lot of his sort of essence but even before that Once upon, i mean but like because i've heard that before and i remember but it's like he was married twice before gilda radner and he married again after her like i'm yeah. not saying he yeah. was over her but it's like i can understand the idea of like maybe that's the thing that like threw off his creative mojo but it's like the guy got everybody he loved a lot of relationships so when she died the idea that he he brought who knows this this happens a lot with these people great peter bogdanovich and people who are great for a few years and just fall off you never know what happened they stopped doing drugs they started doing drugs they stopped drinking they start so well, their interests just their interests just changed like gene hackman's is like i just want to write and hang out in arizona ride my bike he like, for 50 years did enough movies <laughs> yeah that too he got exhausted from it all yeah i guess we should talk about this before it ends we're at the whole terrible sequence in the the river <laughs> the boat now <laughs> which has exactly yeah. enough seats for for this group. minus two people wait we, we already missed the greatest i didn't know idea until again today that the guy who gets the the millipede on his face is waylon green the writer of the wild bunch okay oh. <laughs> greatest movie he's ever made he was a friend of mel stewart's so the only guy who was willing to get a centipede on his face hmm. that's fun <laughs> um like i don't have like strong memories of this being like some kind of like horrible scene but i certainly get it i mean it's weird it's a weird sequence yeah. of this movie where Luigi Wilder just like oh, for sure. ramps it up all of a sudden and the light and they chop off a chicken's head that just happened the, the, light, the lighting's all crazy out. and everything yeah. and he's doing this, like a lot of like, this is what you want from gene wilder this cr- like, you know, on top of what's the, the point of this when there are taurus here well he and the, he and the umpa lupus like to have a lot of fun on saturdays this kind of who else but i'm like silent actor this this the intensity gene wilder could generate the comic and manic intensity is no one else it's such magic it's very specific for sure there's not yeah there's a small step for mankind a giant step for us two years after the moon landing like right you bringing up nick cage makes a lot of sense like that's that's the closest approximation honestly that i can think of right who are you (laughs) (laughs) and even even nick cage is like i'm happily to tell you every single one of my reference points or whatnot like it's not like you know he's bringing out of nowhere this is like what is this like what is where is this coming from must have been a really sensitive guy. I, like, you know, like Frankenstein, and it is such a comic, it's such a performance of such brilliance. Yeah, <laughs> white hot intensity. Like it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not unknown, unheard of for comics to, you know, have a larger than life personality on screen, and then just you know, take, and that's why there's so much depression that runs through, which is unfortunate. But, it's interesting it's in retrospect. You know, I by the time I had seen this film, you know, obviously I don't ever remember not knowing who Gene Wilder was sure. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I sort of pictured this as, oh, it's this Gene Wilder character who we all know and like and has a reputation, has made a lot of movies, and he's playing Willy Wonka. And to me, even before I even knew what this was, because this was decades before I did this as a job, but it was sort of like a star plus concept sell. But in retrospect, for I would say especially younger people, most people that saw this picture, this was probably the first time they had seen Gene Wilder in anything. You know, I don't imagine there were a lot of eight-year-olds watching Bonnie and Clyde, the producers. 
Well, they looked at it and they're like, oh man, this movie's great. I hope that Gene Hackman goes on places and is in a Willy Wonka, <laughs> Wonka movie eventually. <laughs> it seemed like this, by the way. It's like, well, they are making stuff. Like, it's a factory. Yeah, like, it's a functional like, factory. There's this, yeah, yeah they, sure, they're little guys, but whatever. Like, they're orange. I don't see that every day, but, you know, they're, get, they're getting the job done. Kids can't keep their hands off shit. This would be like James Bond would have a ball in this if like if like Q was in here doing this and he just be like, touching, <laughs> touching <Yeah>. everything <laughs> specifically the Pierce uh, Bond like just <laughs> messing around in the chocolate factory. <laughs> That's my lunch. A reference point when they're right Get out of the chocolate river. It feels like it to a point whenever they do like especially the the Brazen ones where they just like have these like big rooms for them to fuck around. With. <laughs> <laughs> and he needs to check in every single one yeah <laughs> progress um all the kids by all accounts uh were uh you know actors and did their job or whatnot except mike tv the kid that plays mike tv paris thamen was apparently an asshole a uh, little brat no. um, they, that he, was, one? he was 11 years old gene wilder has like i saw some clip of him recently he's like well like you know eight of them are darlings and one of them i can't wait to put my hands around his neck like he was just a lot to deal with apparently he was not the he was not the consummate professional that apparently the other children were when it came to all this and then i feel like someone like crispin glover shoots for gene wilder it overshoots it and misses entirely in terms yeah. of <laughs> He's Gene Wilder during the boat ride. I would say misses entirely. <laughs> like he, had, oh, there's that look. There's the the meme. Um, but, um, <laughs> I like Glover and a lot of stuff, but his his he's so off putting that you can yeah, there's the meme. You can see why Chris McGlover never quite caught on. You can see why they would case. cast him in a remake of Ben, <laughs> right? Willard, Willard, yeah. Willard. Yeah. That's one yeah. of the best. We, who do we need for this movie? Someone big? Yeah, I don't know. Crispin Glover could lead our movie. <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> that seems right. <laughs> There they are, the everlasting gobstoppers. Never looked at. I never liked Jawbreaker, so those never looked appealing to me. I don't like. I don't like the big job. Like I like a Jawbreaker if it's like small, but the I don't know the appeal of like a giant ball that I have to like hold. They don't my, taste, they that, taste like that has my saliva all over it. Right. Like, I guess I'm doing this now for like three, four, five days. Like what? Kids like to save their can. I think like to save like gum, but yeah, but kid, I'm, that's like that's appeal. That's like yeah. I, it's just the idea of licking something that's not going to stay inside of my mouth is weird to me. I say that as like a kid that thought that way, where it's like, I, no, let me keep this. I don't want to put, put this down. It's covered in my slop. <laughs> that's no thank you. So I don't like those little the things, today, the things at the beginning, the paper, the paper that has like the little dots on all of them. Or they like that? That's weird to me. Those little dots, yeah. Because it's like they don't they don't seem to come off the papers. Is it like what you just keep licking the paper? And like, they're no not they flavored can't. beyond the concept. They're not the colors don't change the flavor. They're not the weird candy. Sweet. They're not tangy. They're just sweet. The concept is all sell. The weird candy. Same thing with the like I get that it lasts forever, but it doesn't taste like anything. It's just a sweet ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a candy. I go ooh. There's I'm no not going to get to like there. a nice jelly center eventually. That's why right. that's why Tootsie Pops yeah. took off and things like that because there's something there's something to reach, and it doesn't take too long to get to it. A jawbreaker is like, oh, I got to the middle. Well, that's it, huh? I guess. Okay. <laughs> Am I at the point where I can try to crack it with my teeth yet, or is that a fool's? Like that, that look he's giving exactly, there. Exactly, yeah. exactly that too. Yeah, the, the teeth thing. <laughs> oh, boiled eyeballs and boxing gloves. Because why not? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. 
No, that's how that happens. <laughs> Looks like he's making broken glass with sugar. Who says he's not? The kid, uh, Mike TV, opened apparently one of these bee things, and, and bees actually got out and stung somebody. This kid, <laughs> kid, kid was messing around. This kid sucked. <laughs> this kid, this kid was a little dick. <laughs> Now he does present her with the a little unfair. Like he gives her the gum. Like he knows he's gonna want that gum. You know, if you take away the bucket family, everyone in this movie is awful except for Willy Wonka. And he's reacting to a world where everyone is awful. He's looking for one person that isn't. And that's what happened. But he's his animus towards these kids is based on it's an ugly world that we're presented with. And he's looking for one, and his whole act of being kind of undistrust untrustworthy and weird is all based on the way the world is treated, this sort of pure soul of a chocolatier. So it's interesting to think how much of, of, of the, the sort of antipathy or apathy he has for these kids is based on his dislike for them. And for I, most of the world. I like that he has a, a, a movie-sized tour that he has to give to get to that point where it's like, yeah, the one kid that was probably nice all along, he's probably he's nice, actually. <laughs> he's the one. He, he worked out. Well, that's the one but thing about... He was gonna... oh. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. No, that's what I was going to say. The one thing I like, uh, one of the things the Storm points about Depp's interpretation of Wonka is the, the kind of asshole nature he is, and this like he kind of plays this idea of a kid who thinks he's an adult while trying to be superior to the kids, but looking like a buffoon to adults. But they have to like respect him because he's the guy that owns the place. It's it's I found Depp pretty humorous when I returned to that one. It's a funny performance, oh, yeah. like it's it's a, genuinely... especially since it. Since you have a performance that's so iconic of Gene Wilder, it's like, well, you mm -hmm. have to do something different. And Depp does do something different. Does he ever? Do, has he copped up to the fact that it's very much inspired by Jackson, or has that always been yeah, like? No, he it's it's still always, to this day refuses to really talk about. Oh, he never that, said it. Right? Yeah. Never officially that's said the one, it. Right? That's but, the one thing that I didn't. That's the one thing about that picture that I, that I that I didn't like about the Burton remake was that it felt like they had to avoid doing anything that was done in this version, and so many of. Well, technically, it's, it's, a, it's another uh, adaptation of the book. That's always been the, the line that they give. Like, it is, but like, clearly Johnny Depp must be someone who respects Wilder's performance, and he has to draw completely outside that yeah, area. That makes so sense. Yeah. Very hard to do, and I, I think the Willy Wonka in that version is, is uh, seems insane in a way that I wouldn't want to know that guy. <laughs> he just I, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, absolutely. No. I wouldn't want him for dinner. But yeah. no, I think he, I think it's funny though. But yeah, I agree with you. No, there's he's bits not, that work. For he's sure not endearing and... or like, oh, no. Wonka, hug me. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's not the kind. Well, because it avoids that by giving you like the whole father plot, right? So it kind of sidesteps the yeah. Charlie sweetness angle in favor of, and now we have to write you, Wonka, and so let's get your dad dentist back here and. Right, because he has a father in that. In yeah, this let's, version, let's roll out father. Christopher Lee to be like, I guess, I guess we're doing this. And Charlie in that one has like a mom and a boyfriend. I like I that's think. that's the stuff I recall where I'm like, okay, like that's what that's like compared to this movie. That's what Aaron, like, you just hate all the outside the chocolate factory compared stuff. to this I'm movie. That's the movie it. where I'm, I'm like, let's get to the chocolate factory because I I wasn't I, I very much wasn't really enjoying Noah it. Taylor. I thought he was just his father in the in that version. I can't remember. I think I enjoyed the father the out of this version to make the first act of a remake. Hmm. I don't remember. I actually thought that enough. stuff was relatively compelling. I don't remember it clearly enough. I, remember, I just remember yeah. being like, there's a lot here. And obviously, you're comparing it to this one when you're watching it. But Aaron, would you lick wallpaper? Would would I have lick... the yeah, would you lick the wallpaper? Just no, because I'm like, why am I licking my wall? Like, this just seems weird. Live a little. Jesus. 
It's totally Brandon. I don't want candy that lasts forever. Brandon, I've always been very straightforward about this. Licking toads are nothing. That's what I say. Licking toads. I think that's really cool wallpaper. I like the pineapple ring. I like the look of it. Does someone sell that? I'm like, sure I definitely I'm, no I have no sure doubt in the world that, that no one would ever place at, it. at the very sure? least Etsy has like reams of it that they said like somebody shirt, made like of those patterns. Yeah. John oh, Lasseter yeah. has so many versions of that. It's it's nonsense. Now forgive me if I'm incorrect. This is fizzy lifting drink, yep. right? So yeah. It's the first of two times that Grandpa Joe declares that they're going to die and be shred to ribbons. Because he also says that at the end when they're about to crash through the ceiling. Yeah, he has, he doesn't have a lot of bits. He declares twice, you're going to be cut to ribbons. He's not that creative. <laughs> he has a recurring dream of being cut. But he says it in such a way that it's like, no, it's over, Charlie. We're about to be cut to ribbons. Yeah, that, that's, there, there is, that, those are his World War II flashbacks. He was always going to get cut to ribbons here. at some point in the, the Pacific Theater. I don't mind how I die. I just don't want to be cut to ribbon. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a real quint situation. <laughs> it's like, oh no, the one thing I didn't want to happen was a giant shark eating me on the boat. <laughs> Damn it! I avoided it that one time, oh. and no, it's coming to happen to me. This is this where Charlie's time. poor. This is where Charlie's poor ass should have been kicked the fuck out. <laughs> Damn right, cheater. Mission again that rolled dull. Fucking it's asshole drinking the, the drinks. Um, this is the this, this is added. This is not in the book. This is another thing that Doll was like again. Which again, it's like I, this. This is good. This is good stuff. I like the, the idea well, of this because it makes Charlie more human. He's also capable of doing nasty things. They stole this drink, you know. And he belches. He's not, but he's not totally innocent. He does a few things that he's not supposed to do, you know. It was Grandpa, though. It wasn't Charlie. It really Grandpa. was Grandpa. Yeah, you get pressure. Get some trouble. Alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, that's why he's in bed all the time. They took away his they license. Stole, is he lifting drink? Well, Charlie, let me, let me cut the ribbons. <laughs> it's already <laughs> happening to him. He and his grandson are being diced and sliced by these. He wakes up and he wakes up the other three at night. What, do you, what was it? That cutting the ribbons dream again? Yep. Sorry. <laughs> give, me a, give me a warm hot chocolate. I'll get back to sleep immediately. A warm hot Kawanka chocolate. This is nice too that up to this point, Wilder has kind of. All we have is Slugworth. We can't afford Wonka. <laughs> he has treated Charlie like he doesn't even know he's alive uh, so far, which also underlines the fact that Charlie is kind of a sad character. He yeah. didn't even get lost from the group here. And yeah, he Wonka sucks. Didn't even notice. <laughs> no one, but no originally, one. they had the script written that Wonka placed the golden ticket to get Charlie intentionally, which doesn't make much sense. But... No, because now, then it's like, so Wonka's spying on children? Because <laughs> that's what Wonka's he does? Like <laughs> I like these implications. You know, By the way, I like... It was always parts. you, Charlie! I, I like that it was by, always you! I like that by the end of this whole thing, when Wonka's like reaming him really hard about all this stuff, it's less about the you could have died part. It's like, ah, people die all the time in my factory, and it's more of, yeah. you got fingerprints all over the fucking walls! Like, I gotta clean it! <laughs> <laughs> that's not so... helpful! <laughs> So we've got died. That would have been way easier to clean up. Me with this. It's a shot from like an exploitation movie with someone getting slashed to ribbons in like a fan and just cut yeah. it to the point where they're just like yeah. two bodies, like Michael Myers in the in the last Halloween. Right. Yeah, yeah. The Giallo just version of this right. sequence is amazing. So we we had the we had the room the the one with this uh, silent running. This is like the Logan's Run. Room. Yeah, this is a Logan's Run kind of set for sure. It is, yeah. So is like the river thing, honestly. Like that's like the transitioning outside of like their mad their like their their um utopia town to like go to like see the big mountain or whatever. Mm-hmm. God, I haven't watched Logan's Run in a while. That's a movie. It has a lot of set designs going on. It's an excellent movie. 
It is. It's just got a lot of like. I don't know if you sets. have to can't wait to get to the candy store. People would like Rogan Logan's run. Right, but... so. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the premise doesn't have much to do after a while. You're just like, okay, so I guess they're on the run still. <laughs> it's, not, it's a lot of. It's it's a it's what it's like ninety ish minutes and it's and it kind of. Oh, it's longer than what? that, man. Yeah, is, is it longer than ninety? It's a. I've never gotten through Logan's runs. But, totally. I have to. It's two hours. It's two now. hours. Okay, Jesus. Yeah. Two excellent hours of Michael York running around. It is running, <laughs> and there's a TV series, guys. It's pretty good. That's right, huh? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm still waiting for that Brian Singer movie. Thumbs up. Um, Cross yes, the well, Brian Singer and the Young People. Yeah, no thanks. So this is the uh, this is the Barbarella room. <laughs> the eggs, <laughs> kind of like yeah. The set design wise, I can see what you're saying. Oh yeah. Um, this is uh, also a change from the book. The book, it's like squirrels of like nuts. Uh, they won't Burton this did pretty well actually with the squirrel right and if you're gonna realize you're gonna realize it so yeah you did the job but yeah this version i do like this idea though it's like yeah okay golden geese that's that there's some fun play on words and whatnot he does look like his father it's just like a like a fatter version um, <laughs> just a shopping cart there what would she do with a golden goose? Like she wants one, but like, okay, so say you got a golden goose. Now you got it at home. What's she doing with that thing? Uh, playing with it for two seconds and then going off and doing things. Exactly like that. Kid would, yeah. But even for like a kid, like this little girl being like, "I need one of these." Like for what? Like what's what's the gold? I think her mania for owning things has been stoked by this yeah. whole experience. And she just I mean, yeah, I get it. Yes, thematically speaking, <laughs> or what have you. I understand what it's going on. <laughs> I love gold. Yeah, there you go. Speaking of Michael York. <laughs> Certainly one of the more memorable nasty little girl performances in movie Yeah, history. does the job. Nasty boys. I mean, she gets a whole song and everything, so... It really is sparsely. Uh, if, you, if you think about how inexpensive the movie is, you can kind of see in some of these scenes how sparsely uh, set designed it is and how different it would have been. Yeah. There's, uh... There's only 10 Ubalobas, you know. Mm-hmm. He, and he runs a chocolate empire from there, so go figure. He only has 10 Ubalobas, and yet there's multiple rooms where they presumably are working all day. They're either burying children or making candy ra- and wrapping it. Exactly that. They're like, shut up. Look at them. They're, They're like, girl, like, <laughs> you're ruining our schedule here. Yes. Get the shovel, Jumpa. The mania in her eyes really increases too with all this. It's, it gets pretty uh she's wild and now you're just making a mess. Who's like knocking down all the boxes that did not need to be stacked that way to begin with? That wasn't really practical, but still. But she didn't count on this though. S- sitting, on old, <laughs> sitting on the and old, and I want it now. Splat, it and she died. <laughs> There's no cushioning down there. That'd be ridiculous. It's just nothing Pipes but fire. The oh. whole nothing Where's but cracked gone? eggs and the yolks on the bottom of that floor. Where's she going to hell, sir? She's going to hell. <laughs> when you go down, you go to hell. How about you join your daughter? You can see it in the father's eyes too. It's like, you mean it? It's just a little, it's kind of in there. Like, yeah. Oh, then he likes it? Yeah, totally. 
Although he does chase right after, which is not the, it's the, the, the best way to handle things. And Mike TV, you win the Wonkas because Charlie fucked up. We caught it on the security cameras. It is fun that the movie like refuses to at the end give you like a shot of all the children and parents being like, see, we're all safe. Like we don't get that. You just gotta have to go over Wonka's word that it's like, I guess they're fine. That's obviously one thing I did not enjoy about the Burton version is they kind of yeah. they show them coming out, keep out in that right? sense. Yeah. yeah. No, I, when Allison first watched this, I actually, it wasn't with me. It was with, I think they were sure at their mother, uh, grandmothers at some point. And she was absolutely under the impression the kids all died at the end. Because they did. They're dead. Like She's it. totally they, fine with that. They, they are dead. They, yeah. <laughs> I like the Yoko Loompa stuff. My favorite's the last one of TV. I think that's the best um, use of them. Because <laughs> they're wearing like their fancy TV suits and all that. Or, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's the coolest one. <laughs> Well, you got to build up to it, Aaron. You can't just run to the candy store. You got to do Oompa Loompa songs leading up to it. Yeah. And then then you appreciate when they come to Mike TV because they're wearing something different. <laughs> yeah, as you already mentioned, you had see Mel Stewart. Like, he had, like, a concert doc. He had a couple of JFK docs about, like, the assassination and things as well. He, uh, de- he he directed a James Bond documentary for the 25th anniversary. We were talking about Ken Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he did a TV. It was a home video release and TV special on ABC. He did a ton of TV movies. Like, that was his whole thing, We'll too. see how that young whippersnapper Tim Dalton handles the license to kill. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been Living Daylights. That was the 25th anniversary. Yes. By, uh, by all accounts, he's a nice Jewish boy. Um, his da- his daughter came up to him at one point, just who like was like really excited about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and was like, hey, "We should make a movie out of this." And they he he and um the producer, what David um David Wal David Walper, they got together and got the rights and everything, and got this thing going. Beep beep. I've always. Here comes the Wonka mobile. Ever since being young, I've always seen like the the lack of use of this machine. <laughs> to me, is always seen, it seems like such an irrelevant vehicle. Where it's like, okay, so they drive from one end of the room to the other end of the room. Like that's the whole purpose of this. But they get soapy. Yeah, it's whim- it's whimsical and fun, and they do the whole drive through a thing, and then it's immediately dry. It's just like, wait, what does this do? <laughs> we need we couldn't just walk to the other end of the room. This would be a great water ride for the Wonkaville. Uh huh. I believe there was something in like the soap or whatever too that like made it very irritable to the skin. So this wasn't the most pleasant experience for them to do. Oh, it's dishwashing soap. Whoops. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> they're, on, they're on one side of the room. Now they're on the other side of the room. That's it. <laughs> well, they went through the thing. That yeah, cleaned. yeah, they got, yeah. They did Dried them off. They are cleaner than they were before, so they got that going for them. Hey, everybody, let's go to Extreme Danger. Yeah, the Danger Room. They're going to fight Sentinels. Mm, okay. Featuring Beast from the Marvels. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I like this. I don't know why. I like the just the look of this because this is very you know like THX and whatnot. Like it's like, this distinct like very seventy sci fi look of having a yep. sleeper. It looks like sleeper a little bit. Sleep, sleeper white, for yes, yeah, sleeper. For it's sure. that that empty white looking room. Yeah, we don't get enough that, of that today. Yeah. When was the last time we had like an empty white room in a movie? You know, I don't know. I know, lot. like, I, I like that the, the Hunger Games movies borrowed from this kind of sci fi aesthetic yeah. more than anything else. And then you get uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes had it, uh, lots of stuff. And then it, it leads into like the like disco sci fi stuff, which I, I tend to like. It's the precursor to that. The, a lot of the non Star Wars sci fi aesthetic of the 70s and early 80s. I mean, it's one of those things that you just accept at face value when you're a kid or when you're mm -hmm. just watching this casually, but it's like, it's absurd that he's still wearing his damn hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. He likes his hat. Yeah. I, I will say, like, this, back back the aesthetic, this is also, like, Cloud City and the original yeah. Star Wars before the special edition was very much this. True. Cloud City's a good, like, that's the stuff today. We probably talked about this on the Empire Strikes Back commentary, but, like, that's something I always like about the presentation of Cloud City, where like you have to you have to know that something's up just by nature of the fact that it doesn't look like anything else Star Wars at that point. So you're looking at Cloud City, and it's like everything's clean and sterile here in a world that's established as used. True. Uh, it's even to a degree in the special edition, match. but yeah, he's totally baiting that little shit. <laughs> I mean, he, he earned it. In the book, TV is all about gangster movies, by the way. He's in Westerns here for the movie, but gangster movies was like his thing. Is he like, you dirty rat? You yeah, put me in the say those things, yeah. He'd quote um, Angels of Dirty Faces and Angels of Dirtier ah. Faces. Those classic movies. This is horrific. He's reduced this kid to molecules. He's back now. He's in a little TV room. He got downsized. And again, it's like Charlie and his grandfather almost aren't there. They're always commenting on it, but don't seem to be directly involved in what's happening. Like, Grandpa's almost an imaginary character, the way this movie treats him. Because he's <laughs> the one of them yeah, to right, survive. The really <laughs> That's some fun bigotry set stuff that they have to do there. Everything you want to know about sex, too, I guess, also has that white. Yeah, that white, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> When that movie hits, it hits well. Like, you know, I don't think it's a great comedy, but no. I do think, like, it yeah. has bits that, like, really work pretty well. That one, yeah, not one of his best, but some great stuff. It's yeah. like, a, yeah. The Gene Wilder bit is great. The Gene Wilder, yeah, the Gene yeah. Wilder stuff is really funny with the, the, uh, the sheep, right? The sheep, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, Sleeper's a great call for sure. Like, Sleeper has yeah. all of this yeah. stuff going on. And that movie's... Sleeper's just a great sci fi movie in general. It, yeah. Like, I think it's overlooked. Sci -fi, yeah. Here we go. Get the real envelope song right now. With a fat envelope, good lord. I mean, like Solaris 2001 carry this empty white yep. stuff as well. Oh, those are like the epitome. The epitome, <laughs> yeah. The end of 2001, certainly. And I think maybe I just didn't appreciate it back in the day so much because I felt like maybe it was like a sign of like not having the money to do things. 
mm-hmm. subconsciously, but I love it now. It's like there's a spookiness to it. I think he also he just you know we're enamored of Star Wars and that's yeah very, and and alien the everything everywhere every inch of the screen is teeming yeah yeah. yeah. And then, the, you know, and then the world progressed doing that, you know, more and more in the sci-fi from then on. Not that's a bad thing. I agree. But yeah, like it's, I, I think we especially appreciate it, not just because we've seen so much of the other versions. So it's like, this is refreshing in its own way. Mm-hmm. What was the last movie with a lot of white? I keep thinking, what was that Gore Verbinski movie? Did that have a lot of white stuff? What, Care for the Wellness? Care for Wellness? Care for Wellness? It's like yeah, a step. That. I wouldn't say it's a lot of white. It's a lot of sterile, like, clinical kind of stuff. But, like, it's still a grimy movie. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah. un... But, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, one specific. But regardless, I mean, I, I didn't see THX until, like, in full until when it got that re-release in theaters yeah. for a little bit. And so that was a trip to see, like on a big screen, just seeing like the that amount of like people on white screens. Like I've seen two thousand one plenty of times at that point, but like that movie, it's a, you know knowing it's from George Lucas and having not seen it like in you know presented that way before, it's like wow, this is this is wild to see like how minimalistic you know you can go with, with things. What about Duval as Gene Wilder, or is that a Willy Wonka? No one you know what? Him. I I wouldn't I wouldn't bet he couldn't do something like this. I'll put it that way. I wouldn't say he's the first choice, but I I could see I could see Robert Duvall try to pull something like this off. Something we've never seen him do. To yeah, it'd prepare, be there, but uh-huh. I think it's in the wheelhouse. Yeah, I think he's... Tommy Jones. Can he ever play Willie? <laughs> Tommy uh, Lee Jones. Tommy Jones now. <laughs> not, not like Rolling Thunder era Tommy Lee Jones or, <laughs> or, or like yeah. under siege. Maybe like you'd be like siege now Tommy Lee Jones. You're like you lose, good day, sir. <laughs> yeah, he crushed this scene. <laughs> yeah, he would crush it. Yeah, you're in. <laughs> the uh, the whole purpose of all the like half stuff here was because Bell Stewart was like, "Well, we can't just end in an office. That's stupid. <laughs> we need to like make it somewhat weird." So they yeah, so they cut everything in half. Oh, here we go. Adrian Brody is Wonka. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that like felt like a default at one point uh, back in like the two thousands. Like that seemed like a you could compete for that. Well, the the and it would have been great, but the lazy choice when they first announced the remake was walking. Yeah, yeah, lazy choice, right? And I think actually Nicolas Cage was probably on that list too, wasn't he? I'm sure on the like the uh, the internet lists of who could play Wonka now. Kind of I can see a lazy choice of like Owen Wilson playing Wonka. Wow. Purely, that's purely aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> there's like there's nothing there. Somewhere in a little shallow man. Um by the way, with this new I'm not talking about Wonka right now, but as far as casting it now, when the I remember when the initial rumors were coming out about doing another Wonka movie Donald Glover was coming up in the conversation. That's someone that I think works. Like that, that's a guy where, yeah. if, especially if you've seen like mm-hmm. Atlanta or like anything Donald Glover's done that's not just like straight lace stuff. Like he has a weirdness in him that works alongside the kind of, I don't know, professionalism of a chocolatier <laughs> that I think would really make a lot of sense. But the, oh, the, 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 I, li- I like I like Lakeith Stanfield in anything, so I could I could watch him do it. <laughs> Honestly, the entire cast of Atlanta, of any of them could probably play Willy Wonka pretty well. Zazie yeah. Beats could be a good Wonka. Like I mean, oh, Ryan Tyree no Henry would yeah. crush Wonka. Like all of them could do it. I'm all about any of them. 
Ryan Reynolds Wonka. Peter Sarsgaard Wonka. Huh. Yes. <laughs> Who? I mean, I'll be curious where Peter we are. Sarsgaard. A couple, oh, yeah, a couple, yeah, uh, but in his um Green Lantern makeup. Uh, yes. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be curious weeks from now where we are with uh, our regard to to Wonka um, with Chalamet. Uh, but I'll just. He seems like I haven't. Am I? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, not getting too far into like it. Like the right kind I, of guy to play the part. I least. mean, there's the right kind of guy. I don't think he. I think he's halfway there. Yeah. 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 It's it's. He's been good in many other things, but it was very much flavor of the month casting. It very much feels that way. Okay. Uh, Slugworth, actually a cool guy after all. He takes off that hat, puts on his glasses. He's, he's actually fine. And he rips off that scar. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so he's still got the scar. <laughs> he's an Oompa- He was actually two Oompa Loompas. <laughs> that was, that's the twist to a Slugworth. That big hug that he gives Charlie when he like gets relieved, it's like actually you, you pass the test. That's really nice. I really like that. Mm-hmm. That's I all of this is really nice. Uh, I I this is a I, I watch where this, are they going? Up. <laughs> Why are they leaving the, the great top? glass? And this is sort of where he actually, becomes this, the... this, is, this is actually part of Willy Wonka's secret suicide pact. They didn't tell Charlie about <laughs> <laughs> the family gets to live here, but you don't. <laughs> um I mean this is you know perhaps stating the obvious, this is where he finally becomes sort of the quasi-father figure mentor that you, as a yeah. kid, you kind of wanted him to be. But Better than drunk grandpa. Willy Wonka here, who's but completely I, dropped his... As, as you've pointed out, Yancey, like, he's given him so little attention that it's it's such a weird, like, choice as far as we have to wrap up a lot of emotional relevancy within, like, five minutes of this movie ending. <laughs> like, that's yeah. That's it. That's all you have time for to see, like... We're ha- we have to go on familiarity with Gene Wilder to get that it's like an act, basically, instead yep. of like a different movie that would like give a lot more clear hints or give us side scenes or subplots or whatnot. This is a movie where, for all intents and purposes, this guy's just like a weirdo who eventually yeah, yeah. relents, and you just have to rely on your own knowledge of Gene Wilder and maybe the doll material to some degree. Even the doll book's different than this anyway, so it's like, it's such a weird like, oh, in five minutes before the movie ends, by the way, this is what he's really like. He's actually really cool, and he's gonna be your dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's got a spaceship. And it's the 70s, so it's an abrupt ending, too. It's like, you get everything you want. The end. Boom. Like, that's it. <laughs> Scorpio's well, dead. He's the movie you've seen Gene Wilder's character. So he yeah. also knows that Charlie is the one who deserves it. Charlie went on to develop a serious cocaine habit. <laughs> they called him White to... Chocolate. Yeah. Now, is Willy Wonka going to leave or is Willy Wonka going to be there advising him as the owner? Where is Willy Wonka going? To the grave? I, think, I don't know. I think the implication is that he will work with Charlie so he can, you know, help. Like, Charlie will keep going to school. He'll come back home to the Charlie factory and they'll work together and he'll, he'll learn how to be the magical chocolatier that Willy Wonka is. And then one of the ones Willy Wonka actually, you know, retires or passes away, then he inherits everything. And that's how it, you know, right, okay. it goes from there. I wanted to find someone that would do it exactly the way I do it without any imagination of their own. <laughs> well, there's that. Or. There's the boy and the heron version of this as well, where there's an inheritance factor and um, you know, moving your own generations in your own way. That's a good movie. That would pair oh, well with this yeah. to some degree, actually. <laughs> you, can, you can pair that with this movie in its own way. He'll you never truly inherit it if you don't leave, Willie. <laughs> I, for one, enjoy Willie, you're still here. It's no good. <laughs> 
He's like he's so good in this little bit right here too. Like, like the great yeah. gold elevator. He has one line left in the movie and he delivers it, and it's like that works. Like perfect. I get emotional perfect. thinking about it. And then they sailed off into the sun like Icarus and plummeted back to Earth like a meteor, killing the town <laughs> below them. <laughs> Charlie became a convicted sex offender at age thirty-four. Uh, Grandpa was found dead in an alley two weeks later, holding Slugworth chocolates and a bottle of peach schnapps. Well, despite Brandon's prodding that I hate the opening of this movie so much, this movie does fly by. Like, we're done. Like, yeah. the movie's over. Well, look at this. You may also like The Wizard of Oz. I do. Yeah. Um, I, I do also will like return. That. So Ebert loved yeah. this movie, and he compared yeah. it to The Wizard of Oz. Yes. Siskel uh, did, did not like this movie. <laughs> right. Is it the plan to do this story again with Chalamet if this one's a hit? Is that what they would do? Uh, well. I think to this film, did Wonka, I, mean, I did not like Wonka, but I liked right. that it's a pretty one, you know, standalone, what you see is what you get movie. And could there be a sequel? Sure. But it's not right. like the film is filled with hints of here's where we're going next. I, I, I can I read would... all about it on the outside scoop on Substack. I, I would argue that the movie is. Uh... Where's my money? No. It's it's so indebted to the set this seventy one version that like the, the the choices wouldn't be to make this again but just to make more things leading up to that seventy one film yeah you know Is Willy Wonka Willy Wonka and the us... Frozen Empire where he has to fight ghosts and get chocolate recipes and then the Kingdom Wonka of Willy Wonka of the Apes of where he has to fight a bunch mm. of apes and... Is there one where he goes to like Mexico for a specific surgery only to find out? That he was had. Yeah, Wonk X. Wonk X is coming. Yeah, Shawnee Smith's in it. Um, I want that one. There's uh, Willy, Willy and Wonka Tokyo Drift where he goes to Japan. And that's a whole other story as well. Um, the last Wonka, which is really good. But... Two Everlast, two Gobstop. The last Wonka. <laughs> There's Willy, there's Willy Wonka and the Giant Peach where he found out that he's actually the rhinoceros that killed Jillian James's parents. He was in a big chocolate cloud. Willy's Wonka Wonderland with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Five Nights at Wonka's? Five Nights at... Oh, yeah. You got All nowhere right. to go but up. Yeah. All right, so... He reached the end of this, this nonsense. That brings us to the end of the year. Nonsense, this is the best part of the show. That brings us yeah. to the end of the year as far as our commentary tracks concerned. Guys, we got to come up with a, a fun theme uh, to, to launch into the next uh, year of movies. We'll talk about that. Um, we'll uh, do commentaries loosely connected to films that were supposed to come out this year but got pushed to 2025. That's certainly one idea, but we'll, we'll see what we come up with. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Well, we got some ideas wrestling around here that we'll deal with. But with all that said, we've done it. We've talked about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory on the eve of the release of Wonka, or whatever that's worth. Uh, but with all that said, let's go around the corn here. Um, Nancy, why chocolate, like? sir? You anything you like to plug? That terrifies me. Lord. We're just planning Christmas. Find my enemy shed. Scott, my shut up for a second. Nancy, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just planning Christmas dinner at this point, way ahead of the game. But, uh, you know, Milky Way Blues, Yancey Jack at Twitter, Yancey Burns on Facebook. And here on your show, guys. All right. Brandon, 
uh, Brandon Peter Show, brandonpetershow.com. Uh, we got a DCEU series going for you right now with uh, Aaron's here on it. Scott's Scott's on every episode. We're still looking to see Batgirl, if that's possible. <laughs> um, you can find out more things about uh, PopCon uh, for the live podcast stage and podcast awards, popcon.us, if you want to attend. Um, also, um, hop on the social medias. Tell us your Oompa Loompa name. Hashtag Wonka Holidays. <laughs> and I'm on socials no. at Brandon 4 <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm sorry, Scott. What where were you? What's going on? Oh, here? I was just doing my usual bullshit. <laughs> um I am at the outside scoop. That's my new substack. Is come and play. It's fun. Um, I am doing a weekly give or take column for Puck News and Sunday evenings. As far as social media, I'm at X, I'm at Facebook slash meta, X slash Twitter. Technically, I'm on some of the newer ones, but I'm not there per se. Blue Sky Threads, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, mostly it's just Facebook and Twitter, if I'm being honest with myself. And that's the outside scoop, not the outside scope. So just make sure you type it correctly. Just put my name in and I'll get it either way. You can find everything I do at thecodedzeek.com. That's my personal blog. Everything I ends up over there. You can find this podcast everywhere you can find podcasts. And we're on all the socials as well. Feel free to follow us as you do. Um, I choose these ratings. Good to get those as well. As of course, as well. We like doing these commentary tracks. Feel free to you know tell us how we did uh, on Spotify or iTunes. That'd be great. Pop some of the old iTunes charts. Um, yeah, we'll uh, figure out plans for for January's commentary track. But for the time being, Brandon Scott Yancey, thank you all for joining me to discuss Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory this evening. Thank you. We'll be back for my fellow fun. Americans finally. The people have asked. Jesus, you enjoy that. It was your idea, Scott. I'm pretty sure I wasn't being serious. But I yes, I don't. I don't remember. You tease the people. Well, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I I was happy to talk about Willy Wonka with you guys. Uh, that's going to do it for this uh, commentary track for the year. So until next time, until 2024, when we return with commentary tracks, so long and goodbye. I've got a perfect puzzle for you. Oompa, loompa, doopa-dee-dee. If you are wise, you'll listen to me. What do you get when you guzzle down sweets? Eating as much as an elephant eats. What are you at getting terribly fat? What do you think will come of that? I don't like the look of it. Oompa, loompa, doompa-dee-da. If you're not greedy, you will go far. You will live in happiness too. Like the oompa, loompa, doompa-dee-doo. Doompa-dee-doo.